It is good to be with you uh, this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm 90. By way of introduction, I just want to uh, dedicate this sermon to a good friend of mine, Dwayne Flieger. Last Sunday, I was sitting in Holland Gospel Chapel, um, getting ready to preach. We were on break between services. And I got a text that my friend Wayne, who was 41 years of age, had had a massive heart attack and had gone to be with the Lord. He and his wife, Heather, had two children. And uh, so please be praying for them as they adjust to life without him. They were rounding up cows on their farm. And uh, as they completed that, he just turned to her and said, I, I hurt real bad. And he fell over and collapsed. And I believe that's the last thing he ever said to her before God ushered him into glory. There's a lot of things that go through your mind when something like that happens. Chiefest among them for me was the fact that Dwayne was a very gracious person who loved the Lord dearly, who was all about proclaiming the gospel. And as we went to his memorial yesterday, it became apparent that 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 was still, even to the end, something that he prized so very greatly. Because his boss, who is not a believer, got up at the Virginia Memorial, or, yeah, the Virginia Memorial, and said, I'm not a believer, but every day when my when Dwayne came into work, he told me about Jesus. So I know that Jesus was important to him. And as I began to process the grief that I was going through as a result of this sudden death, I began to think about life. You know, when someone you love passes away, you you do an evaluation of your life, you think about what have I accomplished in my life, what am I doing with my life, how can I live better? And no matter how much you attempt to live better, there's always more that you can do. Because we are not perfect, we struggle, we live a daily life of Imperfection. We deal with things like storms, both physical and emotional. Um, one of the reasons I was late this morning was because my house did not have power last night, so I stayed somewhere else. And so all the logistics that have to do with that um, made things a little difficult. But I'm glad to be here. And uh, as I open this sermon, I want you... To consider the the fact that we need to live our best life while we can. Because we don't know how much time we have. I always tell people that my hope is... Because 
I don't fear death, but I still kind of fear the process of death. That my hope is that I can die on my 100th birthday in my sleep after I've had my birthday cake. But that being said, that is probably not realistic. And I don't know how long it will be before my name is the one that's called. But I do know this, that I want to make the most of every day. And that every time one of my friends passes away, it is a reminder to me to live even more full on for the Lord Jesus Christ. And just to give you a little bit of background, I've been preaching regularly since um, September of 2009 when I surrendered myself to ministry uh, to to God through ministry and started speaking for Him. So I travel around Michigan and preach and also in other states when I'm given the opportunity. Um, I also work um, at Potter's House Christian School, so I'm enjoying my summer off, but I'm excited to get back to work next month. So um, that's just a little bit more about me. So if you're taking notes, just know that um, the title of our message is "Living the Best Life While You Can." Your, your best life while you can, and we're going to be primarily reading from Psalm 90, um, and uh, I will be turning to a couple cross references as well. Um, it's a little challenging without the lights on, but what can you do? We'll see how things go. Um, so Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, and my first point is, remember the eternal perfection of God. I think it's important for us to realize, as we contemplate the temporary nature of our lives, that we realize that the one presiding over everything is an eternal God. And this is what Moses wrote in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. So Moses is laying a foundation as he's writing this psalm, for us to realize that God has been with them for generations. Remember in Genesis, in the early part of Genesis, he called Abram and he said, Get thee out from your kindred in Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land. And he didn't tell him what land, did he? He said, Get to a land which I will show you. And Abram said, well, maybe God, if you give me three weeks to think about it, to, to, to clear up my affairs and to get everything ready to go, then I, maybe I'll do it. No, he didn't. And the Bible says that he went. Not knowing where he was going, only knowing that God was in control. And then through the years, you just see the faithfulness of God to the people of Israel. And uh, Abram had Isaac from his wife, even though she was called barren. She was in her 90s 
And Abram was pretty much a hundred. And it was like 25 years after the promise that it was finally fulfilled that he would have a son. And then Isaac had Jacob, who deceived his father and got the birthright that way. But it was a fulfillment of prophecy because God said the older will serve the younger, meaning Esau would serve Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, of course, when Joseph had his sons, they became the half-tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. So all this to say that God had loved and honored and cherished the people of Israel from the beginning of their time. And it's a reminder to us that He didn't cherish them or love them because there was anything special or unique about them, but because He was God and He chose them. He said, it's not because you are a special person or because there's something unique about you that I love you, but I love you because I've chosen to show my mercy to you. And so, uh, Moses is simply reminding us as we begin that everything we have, everything we are, is owed to God who has given everything that we could ever need. The Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now often we want because we don't understand what it is to differentiate between a want and a need. But Paul said, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. So let's look at, at something a little bit more about the timeless sovereignty of God by turning, if you would, to Proverbs 30, verse 4. Proverbs 30, verse 4. I find it interesting that even in the Old Testament, they had a concept given by God, no doubt, that God had a son. This is what Proverbs 30, verse 4 said. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in the garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell. So even the writer of this proverb here is saying, God has a son. And God the Father and God the Son... And also we believe God the Holy Spirit were complacent and working together in the creation of the world. And even at the time of Proverbs, even though they didn't know His name, even though they hadn't seen His face, they knew He was coming. And it's a reminder to us that the Old Testament is just as relevant as the New Testament. The whole Bible tells the story of Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. Let's look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Um, John 1, 1 to 3 is 
Um, it's interesting. John, one of the reasons that John wrote his uh, a gospel was to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. Because there were people who were saying, even as great as Jesus was, as great as his teachings were, that he was not, in fact, deity. And John says, absolutely he was, absolutely he is, absolutely he always will be. Um, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And I'll go ahead and read verse 4 too. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So, you look at this passage, what does it say? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, there are some cultish versions of the Bible that say the Word was a God. No, the Word was the God. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The definitive article. And so, as we look at this, we see all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Incidentally, this is why I believe in a literal six-day creation with a seventh day for rest, because when Jesus said, go your way, your daughter has been healed, or your loved one has been healed, and the person would get back to where they were, and they would inquire as to when their loved one became well, they would find out that it was at the very moment that Jesus spoke the words, your, your, your son has been healed, your servant has been healed, then they were healed. When Jesus said to the blind, receive your sight, they received their sight immediately. It wasn't like three weeks later, oh, my sight it got better, and so I can thank God. No. The very voice that called the world into existence healed those people instantly in the New Testament. So I believe that when God said, let there be light, there was light. And when God, when Jesus said on the Sea of Galilee, incidentally, when there was a great storm, probably much like the one we experienced a couple nights ago, it was the same Jesus who said, peace, be still. And the Bible tells us that the, that the, that the, that the sea was instantly calm. I've been by water that was calming down incrementally as a storm abated. But can you imagine being there with the disciples and seeing it instantly calm? From raging to calm in a nanosecond. And that's why the disciples said, Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey Him? It just makes me all the more glad to be a child of God. Thou art the unapproached, whose height enables thee to stoop, whose holiness is undefiled to handle hearts that droop. How canst thou think so well of me, 
and be the God thou art, is darkness to my intellect, but sunshine to my heart. That was by a man, by someone named F.W. Favor. And I just really like the way that describes God, that the holy God, the perfect God, the one that created everything, would stoop down to a groaning creation and say, I'm going to fix this. That sometime in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son had a conference and God the Father said, Go. Show my people how to live. Show them how to love. Be the ultimate sacrifice so that we can bridge the gap between a perfect heaven and a sinful man. And He did that because He loves me. And He did that because He loves you. And it's because of that that I can go to that funeral yesterday and really feel the truth of the words, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because Jesus, one day, you know, when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the devil started laughing. He thought he'd won. He didn't know everything. But all that our infinite loving Father God did was count to three. And at the end of that three count, Jesus rose victorious from the grave. And that is why we're here today. If if Jesus hadn't risen, Paul said our faith would be in vain. But now is Christ risen? And that's why he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is it not in vain? Because we serve a living Savior. We don't go to a graveyard to memorialize a dead Savior. And when I go, if I ever go to the graveyard to see my friend Wayne's grave, I'll see a marker with two dates, the day he was born and the day he died. But I won't see Dwayne. Because Dwayne is in glory. Dwayne is living his best life now. Because the Bible says, I have not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what the things that the Lord has prepared for them that love him. What a wonderful promise that is. So when you get down... When you have a bad day, because I've had them, I struggled for a lot of years to find a job where I, where I felt like I was really genuinely appreciated and, and loved and that my skills were being used appropriately. I've struggled a lot in relationships. I'm still praying for a wife and a family someday. But I know even on my bad days, that Jesus is right beside me. And that serving Him on a bad day is better than a good day without Him. It was mentioned at the funeral yesterday that Dwayne uh, would often open his phone calls and say, Hello, this is Dwayne Flieger. And then when he would close his phone calls, he would say, Goodbye for now. And it was mentioned to us yesterday that if we do not know the Lord, 
then we were not going to get to heaven. Dwayne's in heaven. We're not going there, so it's goodbye forever. But if we know the Lord, if we're Dwayne's brother or sister in Christ, it's goodbye for now. And I'm so thankful for that promise. It's hard to believe that at 40 years old, I would already say that I'm sick of going to funerals, but I've, I've lost four or five friends in the last seven years at very young ages. And so I can honestly say that I'm sick of going to funerals, that I'm grateful that someday, very soon, death will die for a final time. So what's our second point? Our second section is Psalm 93 to 11. Remember the temporal imperfection of men. You know, it's a common thing for us to say that we're pretty good. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm a pretty good person. I treat people with respect. I I don't lie. Almost never lie. Sometimes little white lies. I've never murdered. Never done any of the big sins. But the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he took things out of the thought realm, and he, or out of the physical realm, and he said, even your thoughts condemn you. He said, if you look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He said, if you hate your brother or sister without a cause, you're a murderer. Well, I can raise my hand. And say that it's been me. So where does that leave me? It leaves me hopeless. Apart from the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. Paul said if we had everything that Christ gave us. Except for his resurrection. We would still be of all men most miserable. But the power to live. A fulfilling and godly life comes from the Holy Spirit, which comes as a gift from a living Savior who said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send the Holy Spirit to be a comfort to you, to guide you into all truth, and to show you that which you need to do. That is the promise of God. So as we turn back to Psalm 90... We will see a pretty big section here. So I'll go ahead and read it. And then we'll have a couple, a few comments, of course. Verse 3 of Psalm 90 says, Thou turnest men to destruction and saith, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday... Which is, which it, which when it is past, and as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as sheep in the, in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed 
by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, yet it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we will fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, is thy wrath. And so we see that there's not a lot in here that pretends good for men apart from God's mercy. Saying, first of all, our economy of time is not your economy of time. A thousand years is as a a day to you. You know, we we look back and we say Jesus came over 2,000 years ago and it seems like a long time. But he doesn't live in the economy of time as we do. And that's why his promise in Revelation chapter 22, surely I'm coming quickly, is 100% true, even if by our measure it feels like forever. And Moses basically lays out the case here that there's nothing in us that's good. That God can sweep us away just by a word. That our life is short that we are like sheep in the morning and grass which groweth up and is gone. You know, in, in the fall, the leaves die. They fall to the ground. When we first get into the spring, when the snow is melting, the grass is often brown because it hasn't been exposed to the sun. There's death there. There's another verse in Isaiah that says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And then Moses puts it right out here. He said, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. The psalmist said it this way, If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to hell, you are there. There's nowhere I can hide from you, God. Another psalm says, What is man that thou art mindful of us? Or the son of man that thou visitest us? Think about what it must have been like for that young lady in Nazareth one day. Many speculate that she was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, and she's just minding her own business, planning a wedding. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For you will conceive and bear a son of the Holy Ghost. And his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And some people think that Mary was sinless. That she had attained some Semblance of perfection, and that is why she was chosen, my friends. That's not true. 
When she was rejoicing and giving the, getting this special selection, she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, Mary knew. I don't know if she knew well he was hanging on the cross, but she knew that she needed a Savior. And how wonderful it must have been. I'm fairly certain that Mary was among that 500 at once who saw Jesus alive. Or perhaps she was even in that upper room. But either way, I'm sure she saw him. And so she is rejoicing today in heaven. 